Father in heaven, we thank you so much for this opportunity that we have to come apart from the cares of this life and to worship you in spirit and in truth. We pray that you'd bless us now as we open your word. May you speak to us, we pray, for we ask these things in the precious name of Jesus. Amen. Our topic today is the Sabbath and the sanctuary, and uh, I have a picture here of a screenshot of uh, two photography companies that are very prominent. I, I'm an avid hobbyist photographer and videographer, and this is my stress relief. I like to take pictures, and everyone that is a hobbyist or professional photographer buys from these two companies. At one point in their photography purchases, you buy from Adorama or BH Photo. And this is an interesting thing. When you go online to purchase something from Adorama or BH Photo, and uh, you go on Friday evening, Eastern Time, which, you know, it's far farther ahead uh, in, in Alaska or farther behind, and there will be a little note on the page, on Adorama's page, that will say, this website is closed in honor of the Sabbath. And every Saturday, every Friday evening from sundown Eastern Standard Time to sundown Saturday evening Eastern Standard Time, BH Photo and Adorama will not sell you a single thing in honor of the Sabbath. And they have it front on their website. And you would think that this company or these companies would suffer in the days of Amazon and retailing and so forth. They would go out of business, but they haven't. They are the most prominent and prolific and uh, profitable two companies in the photography and videography industry, and everyone knows these companies, and there's a promise. In Isaiah chapter 58, verse 13 and 14, it says, if you turn away your foot from the Sabbath, from doing your pleasure on my holy day, and call the Sabbath a delight, the holy day of the Lord honorable, and shall honor him, not doing your own ways, nor finding your own pleasure, nor speaking your own words, then shall you delight yourself in the Lord, and I will cause you to ride on the high hills of the earth and feed you with the heritage of Jacob your father. The mouth of the Lord has spoken. So there's a promise. There's a blessing for keeping the Sabbath. And it comes down to, do you believe that God exists? Amen? Then he will bless you when you honor him in regards to the Sabbath. Now, before we get to the link between the sanctuary and the Sabbath, I wanted to do a brief review, and let's open our Bibles to the first book of the Bible, Genesis chapter 2, verses 1, 2, and 3. This is at creation. God makes this the earth and all that it is in it in six days, and in Genesis chapter 2, verses 1, 2, and 3, we have something special that Jesus institutes on the seventh day. Genesis chapter 2, verses 1, 2, and 3. Thus the heavens and the earth and all the host of them were finished, and on the seventh day God ended his work which he had done, and he rested on the seventh day from all his work which he had done. Then God blessed the seventh day and sanctified it, because in it he rested from all his work which God had had created 
and made. Now, here's a question. How many Jews were around when God created the six days and instituted the seventh day? None. Adam and Eve were not Jews, contrary to popular opinion. Jews came much later. Children of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. The Jewish nation was not even conceived during this time. So this is before sin. In Edenic perfection, God does something special on the Sabbath, and he creates his signature. When a master artist paints a painting, they many times sign it. And here God creates the earth, it's perfect, and he signs it not in a place, but in time. So like a holy wave, every seven days, there is God's holiness that is infused in time. We are right now in Anchorage, Alaska, in holy time, and you'll notice that God does three things on this day. You have a study guide, which is in your bulletin, if you'd like to follow along. It's a brief outline of today's presentation, and you can fill in the blanks if you so desire. You can see that then God blessed the seventh day and sanctified it, which literally means to set it apart for holy use or make it holy, because he rested from all his work which God had created and made. Three things that God does on the seventh day. He rests, he blesses, and he makes it holy. Now, there's something interesting when you look at the Hebrew. Hebrew scholars have noted that each of the phrases in Genesis chapter 2, 2, and 3 are seven words in the Hebrew. So, and God on the seventh day finished his work which he had done, seven words in the Hebrew. And he rested on the seventh day from all his work which he had done, seven words in the Hebrew. So God blessed the seventh day and hallowed it, seven words in the Hebrew. Seven, seven, seven. The number seven is emphasized. And furthermore, when you look at the literary structure of Genesis chapter 1 and chapter 2, all the other days are mentioned once. The first day, second day, third day, fourth day, fifth day. Then when he comes to the seventh day, three times it is repeated, on the seventh day, the seventh day, the seventh day. When the scholars were studying Hebrew syntax, there were all these repetitions in the Hebrew language, and they thought these guys were prehistoric and Uh, not very intelligent because they were repeating words over and over again. Later on, they came to realize that in the Hebrew language, when they wanted to emphasize something and say that it's important, they would repeat it twice. But you can see here that on the seventh day, the seventh day is not repeated twice. It is repeated three times. The seventh day, the seventh day, the seventh day. In other words, this does not diminish the reality of the seventh day, it heightens it quite to the contrary. You can see them there in Genesis chapter 2, verses 1, 2, and 3. The seventh day is emphasized. Now, when we go to our scripture reading, which Jimmy read for us, Exodus chapter 31, verse 8 through 11, it begins with the word what? Remember, the only commandment that begins with the word remember is the one that all Christianity is telling us that we need to forget. It's counterintuitive. Furthermore, the word remember implies that this is not a new institution. This was something that 
pre-existed the Ten Commandments. I can't tell you to remember something if I've never told you it before. Remember the Sabbath day to keep it holy. Six days you shall labor and do all your work, but the seventh day is a Sabbath of the Lord your God. In it you shall do no work. Some people say, look, I keep every day holy. Well, we can live holy lives by the grace of God. But according to this verse, in order to keep a day holy, you need to cease from your secular labor. That's how you keep a day holy. Now, part of this commandment is that we need to work. Amen? Be industrious. So six days you shall work, but in order to keep a day holy, you need to rest from your labors. And then it goes on, incidentally, it lists seven entities that are to keep the Sabbath in your home. One, two, three, four, five, six, seven, and then it goes down to verse 11. For in six days the Lord made the heavens, the earth, the sea, and all that is in them, and rest the, the seventh day. Therefore the Lord blessed the Sabbath day and hallowed it. According to this commandment, we are to imitate God's modeling. God creates in six days, and on the seventh, he rests. He's modeling a behavior that we are to follow, and we are to follow in his example by resting on the seventh day. This is in your study guide. In Exodus chapter 20, the chapter contains the Ten Commandments. God reminds his people about the importance of the Sabbath. We can be sure that God was reminding them about the day because he begins the command with the word, remember. Don't forget, who wrote the law? God with his finger on tablets of stone. And it was placed inside the ark. God wrote this law on stone to show that it cannot change. God made this day holy in Genesis. And here in Exodus reminds the people about it. It's worth noting that only God can make anything holy. So here we see, before sin, at creation, God institutes the Sabbath. And then in the book of Exodus, he writes it in stone on the Ten Commandments and begins, begins with the word Remember. Now, the question is, which day is the Sabbath? The seventh day. And which day is the seventh day? You look in any calendar, you look in Webster's Dictionary, you look up the seventh day, or you look up Saturday, and it literally says the seventh day. And in over 140 languages of the world, the word for the seventh day of the week is Sabbath. What is, what is Saturday in Spanish? Sabado, you know, it goes all the way back to antiquity, and here we have a list in Greek, sabaton, meaning Sabbath, Spanish, sabado, Portuguese, sabado, Italian, sabato, and then you have the other languages there, over 140 different languages. Literally, the seventh day, Saturday, means Sabbath. There are many other clues in Scripture, and we can know that the Sabbath was never exclusively a Jewish institution. It was given for all of humanity. It is a universal day. Now, going very quickly in your study guide for review, um, did Jesus keep the Sabbath? This is from Luke chapter 4, verse 16, and it came to Nazareth, where he had been brought up, and as his custom was, he went into the synagogue on the Sabbath day and stood up to read. Uh, sometimes you see these pictures, and uh, Jesus has uh, blue eyes and blonde hair. Um, Jesus was Jewish. You know, he was Middle Eastern. 
Um, I don't think there's anything wrong with that, so we can relate to him and connect with him. But, but the reality is that he was Middle Eastern, and he kept the Sabbath as a faithful Jew. Now, the question is, after the apostles um, had experienced the resurrection or seen the resurrection of Jesus and, uh, or seen the ascension of Jesus and seen him gone, go off, some people say that after Jesus ascended and went to heaven or was resurrected on Sunday, that they instituted the first day of the week instead of the Sabbath. Well, this is not true. You cannot find this anywhere in Scripture. This is from Acts chapter 16, verse 13. And on the Sabbath day, we went out of the city to the riverside where prayer was customarily made, and we sat down and spoke to the women who met there. This is a case where the apostles kept the seventh-day Sabbath. Some people have said that the Lord's Day is Sunday, and the mention of the Lord's Day is Revelation chapter 1, verse 10. I was in the Spirit on the Lord's Day, and I heard a voice behind me as of a trumpet. People say, oh, there it is, the Lord's Day, Sunday. Well, when you cross-reference this with the words of Jesus in Matthew chapter 12, verse 8, he says, for the Son of Man is Lord even of the Sabbath. There you have it. So the seventh-day Sabbath is the Lord's day. And the question is, what about in heaven? Will the Sabbath be kept in heaven? Isaiah chapter 66, verse 22 and 23. For as the new heavens and the new earth, which I will make, shall remain before me, says the Lord, so shall your descendants and your name remain. And it shall come to pass that from one new moon to another and from one Sabbath to another, all flesh shall come to worship before me, says the Lord. So you have the Sabbath of creation. You have the Sabbath with Jesus, you have the Sabbath with the apostles, Sabbath in the Lord's day, the Sabbath that we kept in heaven. The only logical and reasonable and rational conclusion that we can come to is that we are to keep the Sabbath now. Amen? Now, I know I'm preaching to the choir for the most part, but this is a good review, and this is from the Converts Catechism of Catholic Doctrine. I have this catechism in my personal library, and here's the question. Which is the Sabbath day? Saturday is the Sabbath. Why do we observe Sunday instead of Sabbath? Because the Catholic Church transferred the solemnity from Saturday to Sunday. But this is just out in the open, very bold. In other words, the reason and rationale for keeping the first day of the week instead of the seventh is not a biblical rationale. Rather, it's based on tradition. Now, this is from the Catholic Mirror, September 23, uh, 1894. The Catholic Church, for over 1,000 years before the existence of of a Protestant by virtue of their divine mission changed the day from Saturday to Sunday. This is from the Catholic priest, John O'Brien, and he makes a bold statement. But since Saturday, not Sunday, is specified in the Bible, isn't it curious that non-Catholics who observe to take their religion directly from the Bible and not from the church observe Sunday instead of Saturday? Yes, of course. It is inconsistency, but this change was made about 15 centuries before Protestantism was born, and by the time the custom was universally observed, they have continued the custom even though it rests upon the authority of the Catholic Church and not upon an explicit text from the Bible. That observance remains as a reminder of the mother church from which the non-Catholic sects broke away like a boy running away from home but still carrying in his pocket a picture of his mother or a lock of her hair. Catholic priest John O'Brien. 
A few other quotes before we uh, move on here. Uh, This is from the St. Catherine Catholic Sentinel, uh, May uh, 21, uh, 1995. Perhaps the boldest thing, the most revolutionary change the church ever did happened in the first century. The holy day, the Sabbath, was changed from Saturday to Sunday, not from any directions noted in the scriptures, but from the church's sense of its own power. People who think that the scriptures should be the sole authority should logically become Seventh-day Adventists and keep Saturday holy. Now, I agree with this Catholic, uh, in in this case, this Catholic uh, church sentinel. Very very fascinating um, in that regard. Our final quote here, this is from Faith of Our Fathers, Cardinal James Gibbon. He says, you may read the Bible from Genesis to Revelation, and you will not find a single line authorizing the sanctification of Sunday. This is common knowledge in theological circles, but this is not common knowledge among the laity. Uh, But when you peel back and you go into the theological archives, um, this notion of Sunday being the Sabbath is widely known not to be based upon scripture, but based on tradition instead. Now, here's the question that many people have asked. Wasn't the law done away with at the cross? And we noted this last Sabbath, and uh, there are two laws in the Bible, and I want to do a brief review before moving on. Go with me in your Bibles to Exodus chapter 31 and verse 18, because this is a common argument that is used when the Sabbath idea comes up, they say, hey, wasn't the Sabbath done away with? Exodus chapter 31 and verse 18, we can see that when Moses received the Ten Commandments from God, it was written not on parchment or on a scroll, but in Exodus chapter 31 verse 18, he says, and when he had made an end of speaking with him on Mount Sinai, he gave Moses two tablets of the testimony, tablets of stone, written with the finger of God. The Ten Commandments were not made on parchment or paper. They were etched by God's own finger on tablets of stone. And as we noted last Sabbath, this was so important that God did not dictate the Ten Commandments to Moses and said, write it down. He said, this is so important, I'm going to write it myself. So written in stone, written by the finger of God, Furthermore, it was deposited by Moses inside the ark. The ark was the most sacred entity in the tabernacle and was not placed outside of the ark. It was placed inside of the ark. And we have the comparison with Moses' ceremonial law. Moses' law was written by Moses, and it was written in a book, and it was deposited by Moses beside the ark, a distinction from the Moses Uh, depositing the Ten Commandments in the ark. And then the last one I want you to look at is Deuteronomy chapter 31, verse 26. Go a few pages over to Deuteronomy chapter 31, verse 26, a few books over, the fifth book of the Pentateuch. And in Deuteronomy chapter 31, verse 26, Moses is told, take this book of the law and put it beside the ark of the covenant of the Lord your God, that it may be there as a witness against you. That's an important nuance of Moses' law. It was to be a witness against the people. Now, anytime you mention the Sabbath, always you can know that this idea of the law being nailed to the cross 
is always brought up. I can guarantee it. Whenever I give a study on the Sabbath, I know exactly which texts are going to come up. And one of them is Colossians chapter 2 and verse 14. Here it is. Having wiped out the handwriting of requirements that was against us, which was contrary to us, he has taken it out of the way, having nailed it to the cross. And they say, here, there you go. We don't have to keep the law anymore. It was nailed to the cross. The Sabbath is included in that. We don't need to keep it anymore. Well, when you look at this very carefully, notice the phrase that Paul uses here. He says, having wiped out the handwriting. First of all, did the Ten Commandments have any handwriting on it? No. It says, having wiped out the handwriting of requirements that was against us. Notice that phrase, against us. That is a literary marker. It is a direct quote from Deuteronomy chapter 31, verse 26, when it says, there will be as a witness against you. So what Paul is talking about here is not the Ten Commandments. He's talking about Moses' law, Moses' ceremonial rites and rituals. And afterwards, in, in Colossians chapter 2, verse 16, he says, let no man judge you in meat, drink, or in Sabbath days. People cite that to say that that's the seventh-day Sabbath. But when you look in Leviticus chapter 23, every time there was a Jewish feast, it was to be a Sabbath. Right now, we're in Passover time. It is to be a Sabbath. The Jews were to keep it as the seventh-day Sabbath. They were not to do any work on that day. Actually, if you go to BH Photo and try to buy anything online during Passover, you can't because they say, you know, we're Jewish. We keep Passover. And these are the things that we no longer need to keep anymore. You look up the word requirements right there in Colossians chapter 2, verse 14, and you look it up in Strong's Concordance, and it literally says the rules and requirements of the law of Moses, carrying a suggestion of severity and of threatened judgment. So Colossians chapter 2, and verse 14, and verse 16 is not talking about the seventh-day Sabbath or the moral law, It's talking about the ceremonial law and the ceremonial Sabbaths. Jesus fulfilled every aspect of Moses' law. Passover, the wave sheaf offering. And here on the screen, I have this, this chart depicting exactly what Jesus fulfilled. Jesus died on Passover, Nisan 14. On the day of unleavened bread, Christ was in the grave. On Nisan 16, he rose from the dead, signified by the first fruits. And on Pentecost... Jesus was inaugurated in heaven with oil, and that oil, in the form of the Holy Spirit, fell on his disciples. So you can see that every part of the Jewish annual calendar has a broader Christian uh, significance in terms of the work of Christ here on earth and in heaven as well. Jesus fulfilled every part of the sanctuary festival and feast. He has done it, or he will fulfill it in the future. Now, when we come to this idea of the relationship between the sanctuary and the Sabbath, the sanctuary really, or I should say the Sabbath really, shows us the experience of salvation. As we noted in earlier presentations, um, Adam and Eve, in Edenic perfection, before sin, had a most holy place experience. God would come down and have a conversation with Adam and Eve face to face every evening. Because of sin, that was no longer possible. And you have God going through a process of accommodation to 
accommodate this reality. Because of sin, this face-to-face encounter is no longer possible anymore. And so Jesus comes in the form of a man. It's divinity clothed in humanity, which really typifies the entire sanctuary. You see that the Shekinah glory came all the way down, but was clothed. It was veiled, and Jesus came veiled by humanity to connect with us because of the sin issue that had caused that separation. So the entire human race is out here, and God wants to bring us all the way back to where Adam and Eve were before the fall in every aspect, in terms of the way our planet is, in in terms of our own relationships with each other, in terms of our physical nature, every part of that has been affected by sin, and God's plan in the process of salvation is to bring us all the way back to the most holy place experience. But here's the problem. In Hebrews chapter 12, verse 14, the Bible says, without holiness, no one will see the Lord. So here is the issue. God wants to bring us here to have that face-to-face relationship with him, to have that encounter with him. But what is the condition to see God face-to-face? It's holiness. Don't let anyone tell you otherwise. It absolutely is holiness. And, and so without holiness, no one will see the Lord. Jesus said it in the Sermon on the Mount. Blessed are the pure in heart, for they shall see God. Holiness is the condition to meet God face to face. Nothing unholy can survive in his presence. Now, how does that make you feel? I'll tell you how it makes me feel naturally. A lot of anxiety. Because you have this idea of holiness, the goal, the the condition for seeing God face to face is holiness And when I look at myself, I see anything but holiness. That's the issue. So you have this vast chasm between what God wants to do is have a face-to-face relationship with us, but the issue is the lack of our holiness. And there's a lot of people out there that are suffering under this weight of not feeling good enough. You ever felt that way? You ever wonder if you're ever going to be saved? Do you hope and pray that that you will be there when Jesus comes a second time? You're just like, oh, I don't know if I'm going to be saved because I feel so unworthy. And people are going through, and I I believe that there's many people, medicating themselves from the guilt that they feel and from the inadequacy they feel because of this holiness idea that we can never measure up to. In other words, the experience of salvation for many Christians is anything but peace. It is anxiety. It is this feeling and this sense of, will I ever measure up? And the beautiful thing about the Sabbath is that it reminds us of the reality that it is only God that can make us holy. Amen? Here it is in Ezekiel chapter 20, verse 12. It's in your study guide. Also, I gave them my Sabbaths as a sign between us so that they would know that I, the Lord, made them holy. This is the experience of salvation. It is not one of anxiety. Rather, it is one of rest. So every time you participate in the Sabbath, 
It is not only a memorial of what God did in six days and rested on the seventh day. According to Ezekiel chapter 20, verse 12, when you rest on the seventh day, it's a reminder that you can't make yourself holy. Amen? It's a reminder that you will never measure up. It's a reminder that it is only God that can make us holy. And as even God made a day holy, he can make you holy. Do you believe that? And what do you do on the Sabbath? Do you work? You rest. That is the experience of salvation. So the experience of salvation, the experience of the sanctuary, is not one of anxiety, but it's one of peace. It's one of rest. Every seventh day, we must remind ourselves, look, it doesn't matter how you may or may not feel, rest in God. You may not feel holy. You never will be holy by yourself. But it is God that makes us holy. And every seventh day, we remind ourselves of this reality. Consider the following texts. Ezekiel chapter 20, verse 12 and 20, according to these verses, the Sabbath is a sign that it is God who can make us holy. Isn't that true? Of what two things is the Sabbath a sign and a symbol of creation and redemption, creator and savior? In your study guide, just as Adam and Eve were called to rest in and remember God's work of creation, so too we are called to rest in and remember God's work of salvation. We cannot earn salvation. We must rest in the salvation that has already been made, has already been won for us by Jesus Christ. What a powerful symbol. God is both creator and savior, and the Sabbath is a powerful sign and symbol of that fact. Some people say, oh, when you keep the Sabbath, that's works. That's legalism. Quite the contrary. I'm telling you to rest. That's what God says. I want you to rest. The Sabbath is anything but works. The Sabbath is actually an indicator that we cannot work our way to heaven, but we rest in God's assurance that it is He who will make us holy. So the Sabbath experience is the salvation experience. God calls us to holiness and at the same time says rest in the assurance that it is God who only can make us holy. Let us pray together. Father in heaven, we thank you so much for this reminder of the reality that we cannot make ourselves holy. It is only God who can make us holy. And we thank you that every seven days, like a holy wave, the Sabbath rest comes upon us. Help us to memorialize your creative work in creation and also your creative work in redemption. We thank you for hearing and answering our prayers. For we ask these things in the precious name of Jesus. Amen. This media was brought to you by Audioverse, a website dedicated to spreading God's word through free sermon audio and much more. If you would like to know more about Audioverse, or if you would like to listen to more sermons, please visit www.audioverse.org.